that we met, right? The point was uh, the gift or the present of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. The present of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. And this changes everything, doesn't it? Because no longer do you have to go through this life alone. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't have to do life alone because you have the presence of God with you. And so the gift or the present of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. And so we're going to continue on in this series today. We're going to talk about uh, what the Holy Spirit does. And I'm really excited for it. Um, anyone know what, uh, was anyone, like, every day when I drive to work, I pass this billboard that has uh, Powerball and Mega Millions on it, right? And the, the Powerball on Monday, it said 999 million. And if I don't know if you guys were paying attention to it, but the Powerball lottery uh, was actually on Monday was up to two billion dollars, like two billion dollars. It was over two billion dollars. And I want you to imagine for a second that you were the lucky one that purchased a Powerball lottery ticket and you won that two billion dollars. What would you do with it? Show of hands. Anyone want to share? What would you do? Back. I'd drop out. Drop out? All right. <laughs> Anyone else want to share what they would do with the $2 billion? I would give it all away. You would give it all away? Okay. All right. Who would you give it to? The CSE? Hopefully. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, yes, Nick. I'd buy Neil Stadium. You'd buy Neil Stadium? I'm not sure. That would be enough, but <laughs> anyone else? Can you share what they were doing? Probably Yeah, you probably wouldn't tell anyone, right? Um, yes, Jonathan. I'll buy an island. You'd buy an island. All right. I watch enough Mr. Beast that you can buy an island for about seven hundred thousand. So, um, yeah. But here's the thing, right? If if you won that Powerball lottery, right, a year from now, your life wouldn't be the same, right? You would probably uh, get a nice car, right, a newer, nicer car. You you probably would, you know, buy a house or, you know, at the bare minimum, right, get a new iPad or a, a new computer, right, so maybe some new clothes. Uh, the point is that if you won that, your life wouldn't be the same. Uh, things would change in your life. And it's this idea that we're going to be talking about today. If you have your Bibles with you um, or your phone, you can uh, flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And um, starting in verse, verse 4, uh, it reads this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. What Paul is saying here is that his uh, confidence doesn't come from anything that he has done, but his confidence comes because of what God has done for and through him. And this is the gospel, right? 
that uh, we aren't saved by our own works and our own merits, but instead we are saved through what God does for us. Continuing on in verse uh, 6, it says, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, Paul is comparing the old covenant, um, which is what he refers to as the letter, right? He's, he's comparing the old covenant or the letter with the new covenant of the Spirit. And he says that the old covenant kills. What does he mean by this? Well, the, the, the covenant or the old law, right, was given to the Israelites to show their inadequacy, to show how they can't live up to the standard that God requires. You see, the law was given to them to shine light on how imperfect they were. And back then, uh, when, the, when the law was given, right, uh, if you broke the law, a lot of times the, the actual punishment was death, right, in a lot of cases. But more than that, we know that uh, sin leads to death, right? Romans talks about this. It says, you know, the sin leads to death. And so this old law shined a light on their sin, which leads to death. But Paul says the new law or the new covenant with the Spirit leads to life. And so to answer this question of what does the Spirit do, it's pretty simple. The Spirit gives life. But how does the Spirit give life, right? I think that, um, you know, as, as we know the Spirit gives life, right? Uh, this is evident throughout Scripture. If you go all the way back to Genesis 1, when God's presence is over the earth, it says His Spirit was hovering over the waters of the earth. And so God's presence was in and among the earth, and it brought the, the we talked about this last time, it brought the chaos and brought it to order, right? It took the lifeless and brought life to the earth. And then if you fast forward a little bit to Jesus's life when he was walking the earth, right? Jesus is God in human form, and everywhere Jesus went, he brought life. If you look at his miracles, his miracles, he took the unclean, right? People who were unclean, and he made them clean again. He took the sick and he made them healthy. And he took the dead and he brought them back to life. And ultimately, he himself conquered death on the cross. And so Jesus' life, which is God's presence in human form, right? Everywhere he went, he brought life. And so we know this to be true about the Holy Spirit, right? Or God's presence. God's presence brings life. But how does it do this, right? Uh, if we read on in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7, it says this. Uh, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses, 
Moses' face because of its glory, which was brought, uh, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And that's a mouthful. And what Paul is referencing is Moses when he was up on Mount Sinai and in the presence of God. And he would come down from the mountain and his face uh, shined with the glory of God. And so that's what uh, Paul is referencing, and, and he's comparing the old way, right, with the new way. And he's saying, hey, even if the old law, which brought condemnation and death, even that made Moses' face shine, how much more will the new law, with the Spirit, make your life shine? Right? Uh, verse 12, continuing on. This is the last bit of section, and it's a little bit long, so bear with me. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, and not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, when, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is Paul talking about? Well, when Moses, he would come down from Mount Sinai, he would put a veil over his face. And Paul is saying that he did that so that as he was not in the presence of God anymore up on Mount Sinai, uh, his glory began to fade. And so he put a veil over his face so that the Israelites wouldn't see his face that was shining with the glory of God fade over time. And Paul is saying that, you know, with, with us, with the Spirit, right, that, that glory is always there and it, that, that glory doesn't fade. And so my question for you guys tonight is this. If you are a believer and someone who has chosen to commit their lives to Christ and follow Him, if you are a believer, does your life shine with the glory of the presence of God? Or has your life or has that glory in your life faded like it did for Moses? You see, non-Christians, one of the things that they, 
one of the reasons, main reasons they have a negative view of Christians is because they say that Christians are hypocrites. Look at all the studies of non-Christians. That's what, one of the main things is that they say Christians are hypocrites. Now, while that judgment is oftentimes not fair, right? Because Christians never claim to be perfect, but I think that sometimes we're expected to be perfect. And so while some of that judgment isn't fair, I would say, though, that a lot of times that judgment is perfectly fair. Because we are hypocrites. You see, if you take a believer, a professing Christian, a lot of times if you look at it, their life looks no different than their non-believing peer. They spend their time in the same way. They spend their money on the same things. They say the same inappropriate jokes. They look at and watch the same shows on Netflix or on the internet. They go to the same parties, do the same actions at those parties. See, Christians and non-Christians both, they're, they're sleeping around with their boyfriend or girlfriend or a random hookup. They have the same morals when it comes to cheating, <clears throat> lying, gossip, slander. See, a lot of times if you take Christian, the non-Christian, stand them up side by side. Their lives look almost identical. See, I think Christians, professing Christians have gotten so used to suppress, suppressing the Holy Spirit in their lives that their glory God has faded much like it did for Moses and they end up looking like everyone else. So what does a spirit-filled life look like? Well, I think first spirit-filled life is a life that is life-giving. You see, it's life-giving not only for the individual, and in that uh, a spirit-filled life um, conquers sin, right? Sanctifies the individual, makes them pure in heart, and gets rid of the foolishness of their heart and the sin in their lives. But I think it's also life-giving for those around you see, a spirit-filled life, they are life-giving, whether that's a word of encouragement to those that need it, whether it's um, a blessing to blessing those that, that are around them and that need it, to even pointing out sin 
in people's lives that you know will lead them down a path of death and destruction. And so a spirit-filled life is a life that is life-giving. And here's the catch, though. You would think that a life-giving, or a spirit-filled life would be appealing to everyone, but it isn't. You see, just like Jesus, those that accepted Jesus and, and loved Jesus and enjoyed his life-giving presence, they would do anything for him. But he had his detractors too. In fact, he was killed by them. And so you would think a life-giving life would be appealing to everyone, but it isn't. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with standing out from the crowd and being a little bit different. Because as the Spirit transforms you, transforms your life, and you become transformed to look more and more like the image of Christ, and your life begins to shine with the glory of God and His presence in your life. You're going to look different from culture and society. And sometimes people don't like that. see, just like if you won the lottery, right? If you won the lottery and yet you still drove that beat-up car that hardly worked and you still lived in that moldy apartment that's getting you sick and you're still struggling to you know, buy whatever it is you want. People would think you were crazy if you won the lottery and you were still doing all those things. And yet, how much more for us do we do this? We have the presence of God in our life, and yet we do this all the time. Our lives look exactly like they did before. And so, I'm going to end tonight saying that if you have suppress the Holy Spirit in your life so much so that the glory of God has faded. It's not too late. You can decide now to change that. And if you're here tonight and you have never accepted Christ and you have never gotten the Holy Spirit and you want the glory of God and the presence of God in your life. And come talk to me or talk to Jonathan or another student leader. We would love to share with you about how to make that happen. So let me pray for us. And uh, we may have another worship. So, Father God, I just thank you for your spirit. I thank you for um, your presence in our life. And I thank you that your spirit is life-giving. Pray that everyone in here will, will live a life that is spirit-filled and life-giving, not only for themselves, but for those around them. Thank you for the glory of your presence in our life.
I pray all of this in your son's most precious and holy name. Amen. You guys all stand again?